My name is Thomas Keltner. I'm from Columbia. This does not come naturally. What I'm doing up here today does not come naturally to me. So y'all will have to uh, to bear with me. Uh, a friend of mine once told me that uh, if you can do anything else but spread the gospel, do it. You need to know that you know that you know that this is what you need to do. If y'all would please stand with me out of reverence to the reading of God's word. We're going to be in John chapter 1 and we're going to start in verse 9 through verse 13. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Y'all would bow your heads with me. Father, We invite your presence into this house today, God. We invite your presence into this house today, Holy Spirit. We ask that you will come, that you will fill us, that you will give us your ear, ears to hear what you have for us today, God. Jesus, we invite you into this place. This is your house, and we give it to you, Father. Give me your words. Let nothing that I say be of me. In your son's name I pray. Amen. All right, so I read out of the King James Version. You'll have to pardon me. I'm going to use my phone. I hate having my phone up here in the pulpit, but uh, I don't have a copy of this particular translation. Um, I generally read and teach out of the New King James Version. Uh, it's what I grew up on. It's what I understand, um, and it's, 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 where I'm, it's where I'm at. Um, but the New Living Translation, for some reason, whenever I was getting ready to prepare for this message, uh, I didn't have my Bible to hand. It, uh, uh, that scripture, John 1, 9, well, it, oddly enough, it came to me while I was standing in line at Walmart. Um, um, and so I pulled out my phone. And for some reason, my phone, uh, my, my Bible app was on the New Living Translation. Don't generally use that. Um, I teach some college students uh, at, at Columbia uh, at the church there, and so we use that occasionally with them. But the New Living Translation words it like this. It says, The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passions or plans, but a birth that comes from God. So let's break it down for a few minutes. Verse 9 says, The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. John's talking about Jesus, right? Jesus was the true light 
the light that shows us the way through the darkness, the light when we have no hope, that sense of calm, that sense of peace when we don't have anything left in us, when we're scraping the bottom of the barrel and we're on the underneath side of it. Jesus is that light that runs us through the darkness. Verse 10 says, He came into the world that He created, but the world didn't recognize Him. Earlier in the chapter, John 1, verses 1 through 3, he says, In the beginning the Word already existed, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. Jesus came into the very world that He created because He loved us and He wanted that relationship with us. He came into this very world that He created to be with the... If you read in Genesis, it says that, he, that God spoke everything into existence except us. And he took the time to make us. And he loved us, and he wanted that relationship with us, that personal relationship with us. And so he came as flesh and walked among us, lived with us, because he wanted to be with us. But they didn't recognize him. The world didn't recognize him for who he was, their creator. The Apostle Paul talks about in Romans. He says that, um, and you'll have to forgive me, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it right here, but he says that, uh, he talks about, you know, how would they know if we don't go and, 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 and how can they go if they're not prepared. Um, but he says that even those who have not been told have seen God. They've seen the glory of God through His creation. They've seen the glory of God through the creation of their own bodies. Everyone should know God, right? And then in verse 11, and that's, that's where we're going to stay for a little while, is verse 11. It says, He came to His own people, and even they rejected Him. He came to the people who had been looking for him for hundreds of years. People who had prophesied that he would come. He came to the people who had been looking for him, right? And they didn't know who he was. They rejected, they ridiculed him. Luke chapter 4, and I'm not going to read the whole set, the, the whole set of verses. But Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30 talks about even in his hometown where they had seen and heard Jesus teach and talk before, right? They, they grew up. Uh, you, you remember the, the, the story when, uh, that Luke tells uh, when Jesus was 12 years old and he went to the temple. He was teaching the teachers at the synagogue. These people who knew Jesus, knew what he was capable of even before he started his ministry and started his miracles. They rejected him, made fun of him, ran him out of town. You know, one of the hardest places to teach or preach is where you grew up. I'm Columbia boy, born and bred. I moved away for about five years to go to school at Murray State. That's where I met my wife. We talked about moving all these different places, and we talked about moving away, but we always come back to Columbia. Ain't much there. 
There's Walmart. That's about it. <laughs> There's a Walmart. That's about it. Um, but, you know, it's home. There's something to be said about home. But I can come here. I've, I've preached at two or three other churches. And none of them are as intimidating or as scary or make me as nervous as when I get up on stage in Columbia. Because I didn't always go to Columbia Church of the Nazarene, but a lot of those people worked at the factory with mom and dad. Oshkosh over in Columbia. A lot of people worked with mom and dad. So a lot of people have known me at that church for years. They know where I've come from. They know where I've been. It's hard to fight against that sometimes. Jesus didn't have to fight against that. He didn't have to fight against that. But they still rejected him. Jesus didn't have any, a checkered past. He didn't have anything in his past that should have kept them from believing what he had to say. But they still rejected him. You read towards the end of each gospel. There's a story about how hard the Jews rejected Jesus, right? They hated him. The Pharisees whipped them up against him. When given the choice between a man who was teaching and a man who was a mass murderer, they said, give us Barabbas. They said, give us the murderer. They beat him. Ripped his beard out. Shoved a crown of thorns on his head. And when he couldn't walk any further up the hill to Golgotha, they made somebody else carry his cross for him. And you'd think he'd suffered enough humiliation, enough torment, enough pain. But they rejected him. I got a hard question for you. How often do we, those who claim to be his people, reject him? And I'm not talking about the Jesus that we see, the Jesus that we that looks the way we expect him to look, right? I'm not talking about anybody grow up with the, the picture hanging in their grandparents' house of of Jesus praying in the garden, right? And he's 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 sitting there, and his hair's all well done, his beard's neatly trimmed, uh, he's he, he looks peaceful, right? Grew up with uh, those those uh, those small statuettes of of Jesus hanging on the cross, and and the only blood that was there might have been a little drop at each hand and each foot, right? That's the way we grew up with Jesus looking. It's not what my Bible says my Jesus looked like whenever he was hanging on that cross. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, 
but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me. You cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer to him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I'm going to ask another hard question. Would Jesus be welcome in our churches today? You know, I talked about how we have that pretty image of Jesus as he's dying for our sins, right? But Jesus was beaten and bloody. We might be afraid that that blood might get in the pews. We might be afraid that the mud on his feet might dirty up the carpet. We might be afraid that we might not be able to get the stains out. Loving Jesus doesn't look pretty. There's nothing pretty about Christianity. It can't be packaged up. You can't put a bow on it. can't put it in a box. Serving Jesus isn't always pretty. Sometimes, loving Jesus looks a lot like loving that junkie that's on the corner. Sometimes, Jesus looks a lot like that teen mother. Sometimes my Jesus looks a lot like that kid that comes on Wednesday nights, dirty, hasn't, had a, hasn't been washed up. You know mom and dad aren't necessarily taking as good a care of him as they should have. He's coming on Wednesday nights because, you know, hogs all the candy in the kid's room or hogs the brownies after, after, after a meal or something like that because you know they're not necessarily getting fed. Sometimes Jesus looks like that. Sometimes Jesus looks like Sometimes Jesus looks like the alcoholic that sneaks in right after the worship starts, sits there in the back row and shakes with the DTs. Sometimes Jesus looks like the person at church that nobody really wants to talk to because oh, hey, we all know their past. 
We know what they've done. We know where they've been. We know where they've come from. Sometimes Jesus looks like that. Sometimes Jesus looks a lot like the homeless man standing at Walmart with a sign asking for help. When I was in high school, right after I got my license, I used to drive my parents up the wall. (laughs) Not for the reasons you think. Not for the reasons you think. So I grew up before, you know, cell phones were real prevalent. I know I still look young, but I'm, I was I was right there at the, uh, the 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 point where cell phones were starting to become prevalent. I hadn't gotten my first cell phone yet, but I got my license, and I had a real bad habit. I'd come home late, or I'd be late to something, and Mom and Dad would ask me, "What happened? Why were you late?" See, and and I don't say this to toot my own horn because I've got a point behind this. Usually my answer was, there was somebody with a flat tire on the side of the road. Or there was somebody, I saw somebody walking and I picked them up with a gas can so that way they could go and get some gas for their car. Or I took somebody somewhere because they needed a ride. So mom and dad got me a cell phone. I still had to pay the bill. Uh, I worked... uh, if you're familiar with the five-star gas station chain, I worked at the one at the top of Jamestown Hill in Columbia, uh, part-time, about 20 hours a week or after school. Um, but then it got a little easier on Mom and Dad because I'd call them and say, hey, I'm doing this. And they'd say, okay, be careful. Because they still drove them up a wall. They were still nervous whenever I'd do stuff like that, but at least now they knew why I was late. you know somewhere along the way sometime I don't know when don't know why I stopped doing that don't know what happened I don't know why and then one day and 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 I and I managed to do what a lot of people do. I managed to talk myself out of going to church after I became an adult. Right? I, st- I managed to say, well, I've got other things that I could be doing. There's more, there's, there's, there's more important things. Uh, you know, I get a shift premium if I work on Sundays. Uh, I, get, uh, I get this. I get that. Uh, you know, even whenever I went off to college, I wasn't, a, I wasn't a big partier. I was too busy working. I was too busy studying. I was too busy for Jesus. And the funny thing is, my dorm was right next to the Baptist Student Union on campus. I was too busy to walk 100 yards. I had to drive right past it every time I exited campus. I was too busy to stop. Time went by, and I met my wife. We got married. It wasn't long after we had our third our third child. Uh, we... Uh, we were going to a church in Columbia. I, I was, I, I'd kind of walked away. I didn't. Whenever she and I first met, I didn't want nothing to do with God. Me and him had, or I had had a falling out. God and I didn't have a falling out. I had a falling out. 
I didn't want nothing to do with him. I just wanted to be mad at him. Things had happened. I wanted to blame him. So I didn't want nothing to do with him. But my wife insisted that we take the kids to church. So we did. I got up. Even though I didn't necessarily feel like it, I worked nights. I'd get off at 7 a.m. and I'd come home, shower, take a nap, get up, get dressed. And we'd go. We'd be at church at 9:30, 10 o'clock. It's rough some Sundays. And then one Sunday evening, I was going to meet some men from the church. You know, God, God used this church to draw me back to Him. And I met a group of men that were like-minded, uh, just wanting to look, wanting to wanting to get to know God better. So we decided to start having a men's meeting. Uh, this wasn't you know affiliated with the church or anything like that, but it was. We were just we were meeting at restaurants, sitting down eating. Uh, we were supposed to meet at Wendy's that night. So I, I get in the I get in the truck. Uh, you know I, I I grab my Bible. I get ready to go. And I stopped by Walmart uh, in Columbia for some reason. I don't even remember why I stopped. But I remember it was cold because I remember there was snow on the ground. And around here, that means it's usually late January, early February. I ain't seen a snow in December in years. Uh, not, not a good one anyway. Anyway, and there was a man standing there with a sign said anything will help and I did what I always do stopped at the stop sign looked both ways turned right to go to the light I made a right at the light to head back into town and about halfway down the hill on 61 right there it was like God smacked me in the back of the head anybody ever watch that show NCIS the Smack in the back of the head? Yeah. God smacked me in the back of the head and asked me, when did you stop caring about me? I said, what do you mean, God? I go to church. I'm, I, I'm, I'm studying your word. I'm, I'm on my way to a men's meeting. He said, no. When did you stop caring about me? I said, what do you mean? He said, that man's standing back here on the corner. He needed me. So I started wrestling with him all the way to Wendy's. You know, I didn't make a lot of money at that point. But all the bills were paid for that month. Had food on the shelves. Both vehicles were full. I had $8 to my name. And I wrestled with God, and I wrestled with God all the way to Wendy's. And as I got ready to park, I pulled in the drive-thru instead. Bought him a meal, and drove, turned around and drove back. And it was cold. He didn't have any gloves or a hat, so I grabbed. Happened, you know, I, always keep, I always keep a, a change of clothes, or at least in, in my truck at that point, because I worked construction. I always kept spare gloves, hat, coveralls, everything in my truck. Pulled my gloves and hat out of my truck, and I walked over with the food and handed it to him, and I, I said, is there some way that, I said, I said, I don't have any cash, but is there any way I can pray with you? And so he and I got to talking. He'd been on disability, but 
they'd cut it to the point that he couldn't live. He was a he was a Vietnam vet, and he had a lot of he had a lot of psychological problems, some of which were. You know, he, he said the doctor said were hereditary, but some of which he said were, were left over from whenever he had been in Vietnam. And that one right there kind of pulled at me because I mean, my dad's a Vietnam vet. And so I just I started talking to him. His name was James. And I asked him if there was anything that, else that I could do for him. And he said no, and so I just started praying for him. I don't even remember what we prayed over, honestly. I, pr I prayed for the disability situation. I prayed for his home situation. I prayed for, I think his leg was hurting him at that point, he said, where he'd been standing out in the cold all day. And as I turned, to, I texted the guys, told them I was going to be late to the men's meeting, made it right before they finished up. But on the way down to Wendy's, God said, see, that's all it takes care about me. That's all it takes to love me. Sometimes loving Jesus isn't so pretty. So would Jesus be welcome in our churches today? If I'm talking about the Americanized church, I want to say 90 to 95% of them would say no. Because we like that Jesus that fits in that pretty little box that we can put a bow on. We like that Jesus that doesn't make us uncomfortable. We like that Jesus that looks like you and me, dressed in their Sunday best, sitting in a church pew. Loving that Jesus is easy, right? Loving Jesus in the church even is easy, even if he doesn't look like the Jesus we expect. You know, we, we see the, the, the stranger come in. You know, the, uh, the, 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 the guy that looks homeless or the, the young woman with nine kids who may not necessarily all have the same daddy. It's easy to love them in a church on, on you know, two to four hours a week, right? You know, two or three hours on a Sunday morning, two or three hours on a Wednesday night. It's real easy to love them then. And sometimes, right? But is, this Jesus, but is that same Jesus welcome in our homes? Is that same Jesus welcome in our lives? I've said it before, but Jesus has a real good habit not looking the way we expect him to. Loving Jesus gets messy. Are we willing to bring that mess into our lives when he doesn't feed into that, whenever Jesus doesn't fit into that neat little mold that we need him to be in? My wife and I, we've been hurt, and it's hard. I say I, we work with college students, but a more accurate statement is we work with college-age students, ages 18 to 25. We've, we've struggled to be on Lindsey Wilson's campus 
ever since we opened up the Titus movement at our church. We've had to fight restrictions. We've had to fight. They, if you are not an adjunct pastor at Lindsay, sometimes it's difficult to get your church on campus. To be an adjunct pastor, you have to have a doctorate. That's something I'll never have. That's something that uh, I don't know that Pastor Brent will ever have. You know, if we could, we could have him become the become the adjunct. I don't know, but it makes it uh, makes it difficult to get onto Lindsay's campus. So instead, we work with students that are ages eighteen to twenty-five, and on Wednesday nights. And this is this is a side thought right here, sort of. This wasn't actually in my message, but on Wednesday nights, we're fighting for these kids. We're fighting for these teens. We're fighting for these young adults. We're fighting for their very lives. Because outside of the church kids, if you will, quote unquote church kids, the leadership kids, the, the ones whose parents are there so they have to be there, these kids come from bad homes. I've seen, I, I drive the bus on Wednesday night. I've seen where I pick these kids up. We're fighting for their very lives. I know some of these kids' parents. Knew them from growing up. We're fighting to break generational curses in these kids' lives so that they don't, so that they realize that just because mom and dad are doing it doesn't mean that they have to. Just because mom and dad stay strung out 90% of the time doesn't mean that they have to. We've allowed ourselves, my wife and I, Danielle and I, have allowed ourselves to become close to several of the Titus students. And it's, it's caused us some pain over the last couple of years. And we've withdrew sometimes. And we hate that. But every time I withdraw, God reminds me of James, the man at Walmart, and says it's that easy to care about me. And so we dive back in, knee deep in the mud and the muck, the drama drugs, the alcohol, we dive back in knee deep. Because I won't let it be on my conscience. Somebody who looked like Jesus, who didn't look like the Jesus that we think he should look like, but who looked a lot like Jesus and who needed a whole lot of Jesus, didn't get it while they were with me. I won't have that on my conscience. I refuse to make it easy to go to hell. I refuse to make it easy to go to hell. It's real easy to accept Jesus on our terms when he looks the way that we think he should. It's not easy when he doesn't.
my Bible talks about a Jesus who's inconvenient for us as Christians, who's inconvenient to talk about in our churches. My Bible talks about a Jesus who was inconvenient to the status quo, so they hadn't killed. Moving down to verse 12. Because where Jesus is, there's a lesson and there's a way out. There's always a light, right? Jesus is the, is the true light. So there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. I'm going to keep reading from the NLT. In verse 12, it says, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, Jesus made us whole again. He brought us into the arms of the Father. He made us children of God. He gave us the right to be called heirs of God. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Everybody knows 16, right? Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I love that whosoever. But I like verse 17 even more. Verse 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. the world through him might be saved. It doesn't say that the people sitting in the church pews might be saved. It doesn't say that the Baptists might be saved. It doesn't say that the Nazarenes might be saved. It doesn't say that the Methodists might be saved or the Pentecostals or pick your denomination. It says that the world might be saved. We're each one of us a whosoever, right? I mean, we're, we're Wesleyans. We're Wesleyan holiness. We believe that we're all whosoever's. So are those people who don't look like that pretty picture of Jesus. They're every one of whosoever. And then verse 13. It says they are reborn. Not with a physical birth resulting from human passions or plans. But a birth that comes from God. We've been reborn in Jesus' image. And are made pure through his sacrifice, right? If we only believe and are willing to accept him as our savior, we are made sons and daughters of God. There's a lot of people sitting in our church pews who claim to be one of Jesus' people. But if you met them on the street, they wouldn't look any different than the world, right? It's real easy to be a Christian on a Sunday morning between the hours of 9 and 12. It's real easy to be a Christian on a Wednesday night between the hours of whatever time Wednesday night services are. We have 
at Columbia, we have them from, we start, we start kids dropping off at like 4.30 and they come, we're, dro we're, we're, we're dropping kids off on the buses till like nine o'clock at night. It's real easy to look like Jesus when you're at church. But what about when you walk out these doors to go to lunch at the Mexican restaurant somewhere? You go to work tomorrow morning. There's a lot of people out there who claim to be Christians, but they don't look a lot like Jesus. Jesus isn't necessarily welcome in their church or their home or their hearts. They claim to be Christians, but Jesus isn't welcome there. They're afraid he'd stain the carpet. They're afraid that he might be inconvenient for them. They're afraid that he might ask them to do something. We don't like it when things change or when, when, when we're inconvenienced, right? I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a man of habit. I've got a routine, especially during the work week. I've got a routine. I'm up at six, I shower, get ready for the day, uh, make my coffee, get my lunch ready, and I'm out the door by seven. The least little thing throws it off. My schedule goes out the window. I live and I die by my watch. Jesus likes to be inconvenient sometimes. There's a lot of people out there who don't, who, who claim to be Christians, who fill his pews every Sunday morning. Jesus inconveniences them, he's no longer welcome in their homes. You know, there's a great place to resolve any issues where we may have, but we don't look like Jesus have problems with how Jesus looks. These altars right here are a place where grace abounds. These altars right here are a place where you can get on your knees and look your Jesus in the eyes and say, I want to look more like you, Jesus. Or Jesus, let me see those who don't look like the way I think you should look. Sometimes I overlook them. These altars are a great place for you to say, Jesus, help me to see the least of these. These altars are a place where you can be made whole. These altars are a place where you can Jesus.